figuring out what EDC has Gouda do. Last week, we made a joke about David Staples not having anything to write about. This week, we're very, very sorry because he proved us wrong. The debate on LRT both raged on and came to a close. And we got an answer about EEDC in Edmonton Global. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 66. And it's the penultimate episode of the season. That means second to last for those who didn't do literature in university. <laughs> um, Council's going on Christmas break starting on December 16th. And they'll be on break through to January 10th. We will have an episode for you next week. And it may be a special surprise. And if you listen to us last year, then less of a special surprise and more of, oh, they're doing this again. I thought they were innovative. <laughs> ah, but there's something different this time. Oh, is there ever? That's all in the future. We got to focus on what's happening right now. And what's right happening right now is the rapid fire segment. ANDE Corporation has announced a partnership with Edmonton Police Service to have Edmonton be the first city in Canada to pilot their rapid DNA technology. The pilot will run for 90 days and be managed out of the EPS Forensic Services branch. Rapid DNA is just like a regular DNA test, except it's faster, with results in under two hours. Said a spokesperson for the pilot, quote, We don't anticipate a 1993 dominoes scenario where we have to rescind our two hours or its innocent guarantee, as the potential for abuse by college students is so much lower due to the nature of requiring a crime to be committed, end quote. We debated reaching out to Domino's for comment as well, but Speaking Municipally is still not on speaking terms with the pizza chain after they neutered the student discount on pizza and bread. Candy Cane Lane officially opens this evening after the car-free launch event happened Thursday evening. However, further in the prairies, Regina's Candy Cane Lane had to shut down Tuesday evening after cold temperatures lower than minus 30 threatened the safety of the event. As we go into a Christmas season with many Albertan families feeling a financial crush and the prospects of layoffs worsening, it's important to put things into perspective. At least we're not Regina. The Alberta Energy War Room launched this week and put its incredibly rhetorically sound video on the internet espousing the virtues of Alberta oil sands development. You spent $30 million to put that video on YouTube. That's three times the entire budget of Greenpeace. That'll show them. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by A Tale of Two Weeklies, which is a new podcast series that digs into the rise and fall of Edmonton's C Magazine and View Weekly, two alt-weeklies that engaged in a newspaper war that ultimately neither survived. Here's a trailer. It was a newspaper war. Good old-fashioned, <laughs> knock-down, drag-out newspaper war. I think we were really good at uh, winning jackpots with lousy hands. I'm the type of person who cringes at pretty much everything I've ever done, ever. Um, yeah, my whole career is a series of regrets. For 26 years, two rival magazines existed as the alternative weekly press in one mid-sized Canadian prairie city. The rivalry was was like the only thing we cared about. And we were, we were soldiers in that ongoing um, battle. I just considered us sort of like this like special world of people who happen to be lucky enough to be able to do this. It was really fun, <laughs> even though it made me miserable and, and eventually left me feeling sort of broken. A Tale of Two Weeklies is the story of View Weekly and C Magazine, two papers that ran in Edmonton between 1992 and 2018. The podcast covers their rise, glory days, notorious rivalry, and eventual decline. 
Listen at taleoftwoweeklies.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The series is created by the team behind I Don't Get It and is funded by the Edmonton Heritage Council. You can search for A Tale of Two Weeklies wherever pods are cast or visit taleoftwoweeklies.com. That trailer sounded really familiar. Yeah, I think we might have played it before. Yeah, and you get it again. This part confirms that we record this live every time. Let's move on because we've got a big episode in front of us. It's Lots to cover. budget time. It's the last real material episode of information before the end of the season. And I think we'll start not with budget because we'll get to it. Something else came up earlier on that's been a bit of a passion side project for you. Well, it's my beat, right? So this is the report on innovation and the region, um, EDC and Edmonton Global and uh, the role clarity that people are seeking there. So just very quickly off the top, a bit of a disclosure here. Um, Taproot does have a financial relationship with both EEDC and with Edmonton Global. They are sponsors of our roundups. Sponsors get no editorial control, so we can say whatever we want about them here. Uh, But just so you are aware, that is uh, a disclosure I need to make off the top. So uh, this report is something that I know the tech community has been eagerly awaiting, and it got delayed, and then it was put into a private meeting, and then council decided they would make it time-specific during the budget for today on Wednesday um, to talk about it publicly. And it was pretty clear going into today's meeting that, you know, that private session is where a lot of them had made up their minds and they didn't really waste a lot of time getting down to business. Um, So I want to share with you a little bit about what happened today and then we'll talk a bit about what that means. So first, this was a council meeting, so we don't hear from speakers at council, uh, but Derek Hudson, the CEO of EEDC, specifically requested to come and speak and council accommodated him and basically said, you can be part of the administration delegation. And it's important to note, because this has come up in the past before, there's no actual procedural rule prohibiting people from speaking at council. It's still a public meeting. Yeah. It's just they don't. It's their practice. Their practice is they don't hear at council. They hear at committee. That's right. Um, so they accommodated him this time, but he didn't appear as a speaker. He sort of just like moseyed into the administration yeah. panel. Yeah. He sat next to the administration representatives. He pointed out that the report seemed to have been rushed, which is actually something that the report itself stated, that it was kind of a compressed timeline. And he pointed out a number of factual errors in the report, which I thought was interesting. He seemed to be taking the angle that like, hey, guys, like this report is we just got it yesterday. There's a bunch of stuff that's wrong in it. The report basically says that it it didn't it only contains opinion. They didn't do any fact checking against any of that opinion. So maybe we shouldn't make any rash decisions. But David Staples articles was only opinion and we made rash decisions about that. <laughs> oh, am I jumping the gun a we're, little bit? We're getting ahead of ourselves here. We'll get to that item. So factual errors. Yeah, factual errors. So anyway, that didn't deter counsel. And ultimately what happened here is that Hamilton, Councillor Hamilton, very quickly made a motion to actually do something. So when the report came out and, you know, I knew it was coming out on the Tuesday, I was waiting for it. I was like, okay, there's a lot in this report. Probably the most likely thing that's going to happen here is that council's going to say, we need a bit more detailed analysis. And maybe I've become sort of conditioned to this. We've talked about it a lot on this show because uh, that's totally what I expected. And that's not what they did. They actually did something about it. And this was even more surprising because the only really clear recommendation in the report basically said exactly this. We recommend that no action should be taken without undertaking a more robust assessment of the implications <laughs> from the action cited, including change management considerations, contractual, legal, and financial matters. <laughs> so that's what the report said. Council was like, no, we're good. Is this like reverse psychology administration treating council like little four-year-olds? Like, 
Oh, I don't want you to <laughs> do anything. I recommend you do nothing. And then they just took the bait. I was thinking about this. The other thing that's different about it is there wasn't actually a report from administration. It was literally just the consultant's report. There was no preamble or any of that kind of stuff that admin usually does. Huh. So I was like, maybe we could start something here. Anyway, council, you know, they talked about amendments. Councillor uh, Cartmel basically led the charge about moving too fast. So that was the main opposition or question that came up in response to the motion, which was, uh, are we going too fast with this decision? And the motion, to be clear, basically said we should create a new innovation-focused organization. So we're going to create a new organization that maybe looks after Startup Edmonton and Tech Edmonton and Health City and all that kind of stuff. We're going to move what's called uh, business retention and expansion. So BRE, this is what they call it, fully into the city of Edmonton, which they're already doing. But EDC says it also does some of. And the third thing is that we'll take all of the foreign direct investment and trade and move that into Edmonton Global, which is what we'd expected before. So, you know, on the face of it, probably nothing about that motion is too shocking. I mean, that's the only really, aside from status quo, realistic op- option that was presented in this uh, in this report. And so the only hesitation, as I said, was really like, oh, maybe we're moving a bit, moving a bit too fast. Ultimately, they decided they weren't because they voted for it uh, 12 to 1 with only Councillor Nickel voting no, as usual, mm-hmm. um, and without speaking to the item. But one of the things that I thought was interesting about the discussion was the number of analogies they used. Also, Paquette the programmer? Paquette the programmer. So he said it brought him back to his coding days. And then my ears perked up. I was like, oh, he's yeah. a coder? From his comments, I didn't really get that impression, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Love you, Paquette, but hmm. So what Paquette was saying at one point is he was using the analogy of like, this is when, you know, you're adding more features to an application. And then the words he was trying to say were you're accumulating technical debt yeah. as, uh, you know, it does too much stuff. Uh, Zawinski's law is actually the programming law where every program will grow until it can read mail. Uh, so <laughs> right. everything's got to do everything in the garage. The sort of like analogy he made is like, well, once you've added too many features, you kind of need to just throw it all out and start over again. Yeah, he's like, you got to find out how to pull out the good parts of the code uh-huh. and hunt down the bug. So I think he was looking for the word refactory. See, I... Maybe if you're being charitable, he was looking for the word refactoring. Yeah. If you're being uncharitable, it, he was looking for the throw it out and rewrite it, which is a <laughs> bad from software development right. practice. But it's the easiest one for a developer to make. Very true. And it leads to software development going several years over the estimated timelines. How's Thalus going on the Metroline signaling <laughs> system? Okay, that's probably a little bit too technical for our listeners. Probably. Uh, but you will indulge us that, dear listener. But there were a bunch of other analogies yeah. that were less programmy. Councillor Hamilton talked about putting all our eggs in one basket, and Councillor Paquette was like, well, we better pray we don't trip. And then the mayor <laughs> talked about um, a car. He went with the car analogy and talked about how you know, role clarity doesn't mean that we have separate boxes. It's really more of gears meshing together. And then he took the engine thing a little bit. He talked about the transmission going again. And yeah, but what I don't are know the much pistons about cars. Like- <laughs> I, I was a bit lost on his. Um, but yes, there was analogies all around today. So that was uh, that was kind of interesting. Councillor Walters did not engage in analogies. And he basically said a lack of leadership from council has held back progress, which I appreciated him saying publicly at council because I've said that many times before. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, it was interesting. You said only one person voted against. Yes. And that was Mike Nickel. That's and right. And was this for the typical Mike Nickel reasons of, well, this is moving too slow. This isn't uh, saving the taxpayer money, that sort of thing. So he didn't, of course, speak to it. So we didn't know until afterward. But in the scrum, he told reporters that he voted against it because he thought the decision was made too quickly. And there was a pause. And the journalists were like, but you're the one usually saying we should go more quickly. Um, and he kind of said, well, we don't know what we're voting for here. We don't have any measures or objectives or key performance indicators or any of that kind of stuff. And then he walked away. Sounds like he's really, <laughs> really cementing his contrarian viewpoint of even if they do what I want, I'm going to vote no, because right. it's not precisely what I want. Right. So after all of that, they they passed the vote. And, and what this means essentially is that we have today witnessed the beginning of the end of EEDC. So this is an organization that was created in the early 90s. It was a report commissioned um, by PwC at that time. And Derek Hudson worked at PwC on the report. He was one of the guys that made the argument that we should take our convention business and our tourism business and our economic development activity, and we should put them all together under one umbrella. And now, 20, 30 years later, he is leading the organization and council is deciding let's just dismantle it. It's not working anymore. Now, that may be the right decision. You know, maybe the context is different today than it was back then. Clearly, there wasn't um, the interest in the innovation ecosystem that we have today. And so there's a, a strong argument to be made that that does deserve some special attention. But only Councillor McKean seemed to recognize the gravity of that and kind of pushed back and said, you know, on this motion, Councillor Hamilton, like, I don't see any mention of our current economic development agency. Like, what is their role in all of this? And so the other councillors and the mayor then at that point kind of said, okay, you're right. Like we should try to accommodate them in some way or we, we're not getting rid of them. We want them to do something, but we didn't reflect that in this motion. So they didn't update the motion really to say that, but the spirit of the conversation changed a little bit. Uh, there was another brief tech related news uh, with Edmonton Surges in CBRE Canadian Tech Talent Report. Right. So I had this on our list to talk about a few weeks ago and we never got to it. I wanted to quickly mention it now because... Um, in talking to this motion and, and about creating this innovation-focused entity, Councillor Hamilton talked a lot about being decisive, and she wanted to show decisive leadership. She wanted to move quickly. And she said something pretty controversial, which is that the business community follows what council does. And Councillor Cartmel right away was like, I don't think that's true. You would have expected Nickel to say something, but he just didn't say anything today. Shocker. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons why potentially it does make sense to have this separate innovation uh, entity is because we've been growing. And Edmonton has improved by over 10 points. It was the leading score increase of any of the markets that this uh, CBRE report looks at. Um, we've got tech quality. We've got a big labor pool compared to other places. The quality of that labor is really good, you know, because of the U of A and Amy and the uh, artificial intelligence research and things like that. Startups like Jobber that are growing rapidly. You know, we've kind of moved up in terms of how Canadian tech centers are doing. Clearly a lot of room for improvement and a long way to go. And hopefully um, this new innovation entity will be able to do that. I should say quickly that we don't know what it'll look like yet. The simplest thing to do would be to say, well, we already have a division of EEDC that does this, so maybe that just becomes the new entity, but who knows? Um, as we say in, in startups, all that really matters is how we execute. So we have a plan now, but we've actually got to do it. Historically has been council's weakest spot is doing it. Uh, maybe this is a new leaf today. Um, maybe uh, they won't relitigate things that they've already decided to do. Oh, wait. 
let's get to our next item. Uh, BRT in the West End. So this is something we've talked about for several weeks, years, decades, <laughs> even. Forever. Um, I glanced upon a report earlier this year analyzing BRT to the West End as early as 2004. So we've literally got decades of looking at this. Every council term, essentially, someone says, hey, I bet no one's thought of BRT before. And everyone else on council has grown. Yes, we've thought of BRT before, but they're sure. No, I'm special. I'm the only one who's thought of BRT this way. On this term, it was Councillor Cartmel playing that role of thinking about BRT. So it came to blows in uh, council budget discussions today. Essentially, what it came down to was we have already decided to proceed forward with LRT and we've done land procurement and everything. We've held funds in abeyance and all that fun stuff. So Don Iveson chairing the meeting said, in order for us to proceed here, we would need to rescind council's previous direction to proceed with the Valley Line West. That motion to rescind council's previous direction would be debatable. And I'm giving broad latitude to debate the implications of why we should or shouldn't do this because repealing a previous decision that council has made should have some gravity. Yeah. So that was the parameters of the discussion. And you can already tell from the parameters being set on the discussion that Don Iveson doesn't want this to go forward. Right. And this is coming up at budget because the BRTers, can I call them that? We can. The BRTers are using cost savings as their argument, right? Yeah. So it mostly stemmed from a blog post from Cartmel and then a follow-up article column, column. from David Staples. Uh, essentially alleging that we could save around a billion dollars by um, making the Valley Land West BRT instead of LRT. Now, there's a couple of key facts that are missing from uh, this discussion. One, we, the city of Edmonton, could not save a billion dollars because we're only investing $580 million into it. Right. At most, if we have that, we save 200 some million dollars. The rest is coming from other organs of government. But if you subscribe to the only one taxpayer school of thought... Sure, the taxpayer in general might save a billion dollars on capital costs if Cartmel's numbers are correct right. and all of his assumptions are correct. And that doesn't even take into account what you've talked about before, which is investment along investment, the line, TOD, so many things that just weren't included in this discussion. Yeah. Going into this discussion, you sort of felt like there was an appetite on council for this. Not like a big appetite. I'd never expected this motion to pass, but I expected there to be a bit of a fight. Maybe They're feeling the financial crush, just yeah. like everybody else. Maybe like an 8-5 vote. Yeah. Once questions of administration started, all hope of that, you could feel the room sort of just like all the air getting sucked out and you're like, oh, oh no, this is not a good idea. So some of the questions and comments that came up for administration were like, well, if we went along with this process, like what's the capacity difference? And administration was pretty clear that like for one LRT car, you need about seven articulated buses. That's the double the length ones. buses. Yep. So if in order to maintain the capacity of having two trains running in an intersection every five minutes, you would need to instead have 14 buses running every intersection every five minutes, to which point they said traffic congestion would go through the roof. Right. So we'd probably need more grade separations at intersections in order to stop the congestion, which means increased costs. So there was the unsaid implication that there's a potential that BRT either gridlocks traffic or ends up costing more than right. LRT. Okay. So that was already just like a bit of the air coming out of the sales. 
there was also discussion about like what we said, you know, investment along the lines, how, you know, typically businesses don't want to invest in a BRT route. Bus routes could change. Yep. There was a moment in the middle of council where it was like, it was a mic drop moment. Iveson, he had been basically silent the whole time he spoke to it. He pulled up a letter from Rick McIver, the uh, UCP's Minister of Transportation, and there was some preamble, there was some discussion because Don Iveson had registered his discontent about the guillotine clause in the LRT contract, how the UCP can kill it at any time for any reason Mm -hmm. with only 90 days of notice. The letter said, quote, the Edmonton LRT projects are some of the largest infrastructure projects undertaken in Alberta. While our government supports LRT construction and is committed to funding Edmonton LRT projects, it is also incumbent on us as responsible stewards of taxpayer dollars to ensure that there are appropriate checks and balances in place for this funding. That said, I would like to reiterate that is not our intent to exercise this termination clause unless we believe we have to in order to defend taxpayers, such as if the scope of the project for which the funding was initially granted were to change fundamentally. At that point, Iveson looked directly at the administration and he said, would changing to BRT qualify as a scope change under this letter? And there was no equivocation. It was just yes. I don't know how the answer couldn't be yes. Absolutely. You're fundamentally redoing the entire project. Yeah. And administration was clear about that. Cartmel inexplicably seemed to not want to listen to administration. He had this <laughs> an idea in his head of what BRT might look like. Yeah. But when administration said, no, we did consultation on LRT. If we were to change it to buses, to not put rails in it, we couldn't just put a different car in the stations. We need to go back and start from step one. We're on step three or four, we've done consultation, we've done design, we're doing yeah. detailed design, that sort of thing. Yeah. We would need to go back to step one and just consult with communities. Are they okay with buses running through their communities like this? And he was really flummoxed by that, but it made sense. And he said, you know, you can just put a different car in the same stations. I'm like, well, no, because if you need 14 buses, you might need larger stations, you might need more corrals. And they drew reference to Ottawa, where they recently had to redo their BRT network because it was about moving people. The sort of like human-centered frequent stops Mm -hmm. don't work with bus rapid transit because you get clumping of buses, you get loud, the stations get too congested. You can't do the same things with LRT that you can do with BRT. It's not a drop-in replacement like he seems to believe. Right. So he was getting visibly frustrated, Carmel, that It was clear that there was no support in the room. Tony Katarina spoke up as opposition to revisiting this. When you get Tony Katarina to speak up about anything, you've hit a nerve. The mayor, we saw him be mad. So when he went to close on this discussion to end the debate, at that point, it was very clear the motion was going to fail. But he said, we have procedures and bylaws in place. So once this motion passes, the motion to not consider it, it cannot be reconsidered for at least a year unless someone on the prevailing side moves to reconsider. So he was essentially very upfront, sort of dunking on Tim Cartmel and just saying, shut the front door on LRT versus BRT discussion. For at least a year. For at least a year, um, at which point it's another election. And he said, like, I've run in four elections i've made this i'm the lrt mayor like i have tested this democratically i am certain we're on the right path i am done relitigating this yeah and after his mic drop moment he's like anyone else 
John D to close. <laughs> and then John D sheepishly sort of sitting over there. He's like, vote with your heart and your conscience. And everyone sort of just laughs. <laughs> and the end result, of course, was a uh, three opposed vote with the rest of council saying, look, we're, we're done discussing this. It's LRT. Zadik, Cartmel, and Nickel all voted to open this discussion. Everyone else said, no, we're, we're proceeding with LRT. So that's done. Okay. It's done. We're not talking about BRT anymore then. Yes. The one final thing that I will mention is there was a point in the discussion where Cartmel had brought up a letter of business communities. And he basically said, the business community has written us saying that they'd like to reconsider. At which point McKean said, oh, hold up, hold up, point of information here. The counselor, the email he's referring to, that's some members. It doesn't speak to the broad business community. And like there was a bit of back and forth and then Cartmel rephrased it as if something, if a letter like this were to exist, then would you support this administration? But the letter does exist. The letter does exist. It's, it's sort of a convenient argument for McKean because they point to a group like the chamber and then check the box that they've consulted the business community all the time. So mm -hmm. I don't know that this is that different in defense of Carmel. Not that I agree with him. But anyway, the letter in question was an email to David Staples uh, after writing his column. Mm -hmm. And it was basically organized by Matt Woolsey, who's the president of York Realty. And it was just a form letter that he sent around to some of his business friends yep. saying insert company is on the record against further city spending growth and supports exploring alternatives to the LRT on West Expansion. Enough is enough. And it goes on to say a little preamble about why they don't support West LRT and want to evaluate BRT. Some of the companies listed are um, Melcor Developments, One Properties, The Wheaton Group. I can't imagine why a car dealership would be opposed <laughs> to transit development. So it's like, it's a list of, you know, 10 or 12 companies. So it's not nothing, but it's also not everything. And it's pretty aligned with the messaging we've been hearing over the last two weeks about businesses just wanting to spend less. And it just seems like grasping at anything to try to not get to a 2.6% increase. Did discussion come up about, you know, this is half of a much bigger line? Yeah, it did come up momentarily uh, where Iveson had mentioned, like, we've got Valley Line Southeast as well, which is going to be a continuous line unless it's a bus, I guess. And we're going to have one <laughs> operator. Are we going to get the operators to instead switch out into buses? Like, how is that going to work? Right. And administration brought up, well, and we're also going to use the storage facilities for the LRVs in valley line south east as storage facilities so we can save sure if we've got to store 14 buses instead of lrvs then where do we put them we can't do we the new same. garages yeah yeah so it's in many ways just a very very bad idea and you had counselors knack had mentioned this uh, walters had mentioned this uh, i think hamilton mentioned this as well just like they were all really glad that cartmel brought this up because we can finally put this to rest. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those procedural things. But now that it's done, we don't have to relitigate it, at yeah. least for a while. Uh, it was very publicly brought up. It was very publicly litigated. And it was shot down firmly and soundly. So we're done with that, was counsel's message. We've known that Valley Line uh, to Mill Woods has been delayed for a while. But we never had any solid numbers. CBC this week got some good numbers on that. Yeah, they foiped the uh, the data and they found out that it's actually now going to be a six-month delay to service commencement. So it was originally supposed to start in December 2020, 
And it's going to be six months later than that now. So as you say, we knew it was delayed. Now we know exactly how much it's delayed. Um, The biggest delay, they said, was uh, about a large concrete mass found nine meters below the surface of the North Saskatchewan River during the bridge construction, the Tawatina, for what replaces the footbridge. Um, And that's the biggest hurdle, I guess, that they've run into. I'm sure there are other things, but that is the most significant construction delay. So as we've talked about before, delays to the start of service mean there's penalties, right? I think the most interesting part about these delays is we have a bus network redesign that's relying on the Valley Line as Mm -hmm. one of the key transit corridors. How is that going to factor into the bus network redesign? Are we going to run replacement buses along the route? Until it opens, yeah. Yeah, are we going to delay the redesign? Those are some of the questions that I would like answered that we don't seem to have answers on. Someone who wasn't really asking for answers, or maybe he was, Mike Nickel, through this whole debate about BRT and LRT, he's come off pretty strongly against LRT. He talked to CBC this week and gave an incoherent set of ramblings like i'm still not able to conclusively i'm gonna play a clip here i'm past the point where we say grin and bear it uh and you know and we get to a point where it's like pushing on a rope we just have to bear it fix the metro line right finish the valley line before you build any more lrt i mean we're having problems not just with the valley line we're having problems with every time we seem to touch LRT. So if they're not aware of the Valley Line problems, they're perfectly aware of the Metro Line problems. I mean, how much more does it take? I don't know. So a couple things on that. (laughs) First, what does pushing on a rope mean? Don't Google it. Don't Google it. Yeah. Because we're sitting here, we Googled it while he was, because we both had the same thought. What does pushing on a rope mean? Don't Google it. Uh, Google's not going to give you family-friendly answers or and we at, do not at least not urban dictionary yeah we do not get sponsored by urban dictionary here on speaking municipally but the rest of his comments it sounded just he was saying a lot of words like it was vaguely like trump-esque in that it was incoherent just words strung together yeah the only kind of sense that i could make from that is He's running for mayor and he knows people are upset about Metro Line. So let's talk about Metro Line and connect it to Valley Line. And maybe that'll make people think that he's the right guy to fix that problem. Uh, Speaking of running for mayor, the people who are running for mayor on the right got a nice little softball lobbed to them this week in another David Staples article. Pray this is the last week of David Staples. (laughs) Columns, columns. Why do I keep doing that? This one. Business leaders call for property tax freeze in Spendminton. Yeah, I'm not sure where this nickname came from. He says it's in local business circles, but he says the way city council goes through money and unfailingly raises taxes every year, Edmonton is getting the nickname of Spendminton. So he's basically arguing on behalf of the chamber and the others who we heard at public hearing last week who don't want to see any sort of tax increase. And they think that we should get to a 0% tax increase, let alone uh, maintain a 2.6% tax increase. Yeah, um, I don't think there's anything to say about this article. I don't know that it warrants saying much, but I think it lends a certain context to the budget discussions that might have played out by the time this episode is released. We're recording on Wednesday, but I think we're going to see lines in the sand drawn by city council. There's basically three options on the table. We can go like a 4%-ish property tax increase and yep. basically just increase taxes to fund UCP cuts. We can make some sort of targeted cuts and get to the 2.6% that we'd already promised, or we can cut a bunch of stuff and get to zero. And I think we're going to have some councillors pushing for that zero. We're going to have most of council pushing for the 2.6, and that's probably going to be about where we land. But I think that's going to be the interesting 
flags put in the sand of this is the start of some significant mayoral runs. People who want no tax increases, that's going to be their platform in 21. And we're going to see that being set up this week on Thursday or Friday. That's right. That's about all we have time for because, oh boy, we've talked a lot about LRT and we're not going to talk about it ever again for the rest of the year because this is it. We're done. It's Christmas break. We'll be back next week, but we won't be giving you everything you need to know about city council in 30 minutes or less. You can read the council roundup to find out all of the decisions that were made uh, during the budget discussion, but we've got something else going on. We teased it at the start. We are doing another round of Edmonton Jeopardy this year on Speaking Municipally. The difference is last year was a bit of a trial balloon. This year, we're really putting the barbs to our contestant and they're going to be three councillors. So next week, you're going to hear from... uh, Ward 5 Councillor Sarah Hamilton, Ward 1 Councillor Andrew Knack, and Ward 4 Councillor Aaron Paquette as they compete in Edmonton Jeopardy for, oh boy, what a prize. And you'll have to tune in next week to find out about that. However, before we end and show the Christmas season its way into our podcasts and our hearts, we have to let something else into our heart, and that's consumerism. I'm going to read an ad for... The TELUS World of Science, home to the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. Marvel, you may know from the billion-dollar franchise that has... I don't know if you've seen it. I've never heard of this. MCU, I think it's called. But you can see the universe of superheroes. It's an exhibition that runs until February 17th. And Edmonton is the first and only Canadian city to host it so far. Uh, It features more than 300 artifacts, costumes, and props, and interactive elements that really bring the Marvel universe to life. 2019 marks the 80th anniversary of Marvel. And you can buy your tickets today at tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. And until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.